Turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We come this morning to John chapter 2, verses 23, John 2, verse 23, through John 3, verse 15. 2, 23 through 3, 15. Before we read that, let's pray together. Father, we, we come to you because we, we need you, uh, maybe especially as we, as we think about uh, this text, uh, which reminds us that we need you. We need you to work in us, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We need you to work in us that we might see the kingdom for what it is. We need you to work in us that we might believe in Jesus and trust in him. And so we pray, Father, that you would be at work this morning that you would be at work in our hearts through your word, by your spirit, to draw us to yourself. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John 2, beginning with verse 23. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. What do you know? How, how do you know what you know? Uh, what, what's the difference between faith and knowledge? Is there a difference between faith and knowledge? What's the difference between faith and sight? We come to a story this morning about a man who thought he knew because he didn't know what he didn't know. A man who believed in Jesus, but his faith was not yet faith at all. 
At this point in John's story of Jesus, he, he wants us to see as we approach Jesus, as we see the signs that Jesus does throughout this gospel, as we read this book, John wants us to see that we cannot understand these things rightly by human wisdom in our own strength. We must not rely on ourselves to draw our own conclusions. If, if we are to understand the signs rightly, if we are to believe in Jesus, if we are to enter the kingdom, if we are to receive eternal life, God must work. John wants us to approach his book about Jesus not in arrogant self-reliance upon our own learning and knowledge and ability to figure things out, but in humble dependence upon the work of the Spirit of Jesus. And so we're going to talk about three things uh, this morning. We're going to see in this text the inadequacy of natural reason, the necessity of spiritual birth, and the sufficiency of the incarnate Savior. First, the inadequacy of natural reason. Uh, we, we live in a culture that historically, at least, has been very focused on the facts. Seeing is believing, we say. And if we can only educate people, we think, about what is true, uh, people will become better people and society will become a better society. Now, I'm all for education, but there are multiple problems with that line of thinking. For one, the facts must be interpreted. The data never speaks for itself. Uh, if you need proof of that, uh, just think about all that's going on in our country with respect to COVID. Uh, different people look at the same data and come up with radically different conclusions. It's not because some people are dumb and some are smart. Paul Tripp is fond of saying that we do not live by the facts of our experience. We live by our interpretation of those facts. And the question that we want to ask this morning is, do I have what it takes to interpret them rightly? When we come to Nicodemus, uh, we come to a man who does not understand the inadequacy of his natural reasoning. And, and let me say, by way of clarification, before we get into this, inadequacy does not mean bad, just insufficient. Inadequacy does not mean wrong in every situation, just not enough for every situation. And what we're going to see is that in order to understand spiritual things, and I might add Everything is in some sense a spiritual thing uh, because God made all things. In order for us to understand spiritual things, something more than natural reason is necessary. Uh, John chapter 2 ends with an interesting little paragraph. Jesus had just gone up to Jerusalem at the Passover. Uh, last week, we, we looked at his cleansing of the temple, the story of his cleansing the temple. And, and apparently, Jesus had done other things there as well because verse 23 says... Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs, plural, that he was doing. Many believed on account of the signs. Now, within the Gospel of John, that, that basically refers to Jesus' miracles. So many believed on account of the miracles that Jesus was doing. And now, we, we might think this is a good thing, right? An unqualified good thing. They see the signs, they believe. But Jesus thinks otherwise. Look at verses 24 and 25. Uh, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew 
Despite their outward acceptance, despite their outward applause, there was something else going on inside. And the question is, in part, why, why is this faith, many believed in his name, why is this faith generated by the signs, why is that not enough? Well, along comes Nicodemus. And after kind of ominously saying, Jesus knew what was in man, uh, chapter 3 begins, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. See, John is, is setting us up to be a little bit skeptical or maybe to explain that comment about what was in man. Uh, but Nicodemus was a Pharisee, uh, a part of the religious elite. He, he was one of those who kept all the rules. He actually did it, right? He was living the life. He was a teacher, Jesus will say later. If anyone can understand the signs rightly, it should be him. But he was still a man, and Jesus knows what is in man. Uh, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night. Uh, some think that we shouldn't read too much into this, uh, maybe, but night and darkness in the Gospel of John are consistently, and even in the, the letters of John, are consistently imagery of evil or at least ignorance. In just a few verses from now, in John 3, John will say, People loved darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Now, that may be a bit much to say about Nicodemus, but perhaps, right, he is, he is at least a bit leery of being seen with Jesus, afraid of what others will think. Uh, he's still living on some level for the opinions of men. He doesn't want to be exposed as one of those people, so he comes under cover of night. Now, to be fair to Nicodemus, he will stand up for Jesus later in John's gospel on multiple occasions uh, when it counts. Well, Nicodemus says to Jesus in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus. He calls him Rabbi. He confesses him a teacher from God. He, he has seen the signs. He believes God is with Jesus. And so Nicodemus is among those who, who saw the signs in Jerusalem during the Passover and believed. He fits into the category of people mentioned in John 2.23. Now, question. When is respect actually disrespect? Well, when you, uh, when you say, commend a, a bridesmaid for her dress only to realize she's actually the bride, right? Or, or when you commend a student's learning only to realize he is actually the teacher, or when you say to someone, you're not bad for a novice, only to realize he or she is an old pro. You see, when you underpraise, it turns out to be an insult. And that's what's happening here. Nicodemus praises Jesus as a, a rabbi, a teacher. He knows that God is with Jesus. You know, when, when is faith not actually faith? Uh, the crowds and Nicodemus believe in Jesus as a godly teacher, but they don't believe in him as the son of God. They, they believe something, but their faith falls short. They see the signs, but they draw the wrong conclusions. And this is actually a, a theme in John, maybe a minor theme, but a theme nonetheless. Uh, later in John 6, Jesus will feed the 5,000, and the people will seek him out the next day, but Jesus will rebuke them. In John 6, 26, he says, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs,' but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
See, see they, they saw the signs, but they missed the point. In fact, throughout John, the, the people are seeking signs as if Jesus hadn't already performed many signs, which clearly means they are missing what is right in front of their face. Uh, Jesus will even rebuke the people at one point, saying in John 4, 48, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's saying there's something wrong with your faith. And they debate who Jesus is based off the signs that he does. John 7, 31, many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will, will he do more signs than this man has done? In John 9, 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But, but others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. And yet, despite all their seeing the signs, very few people uh, in the Gospel of John ever understand Jesus for who he is. In fact, the religious leaders finally decide to put Jesus to death like this in John 11. Uh, they say, what are we to do? For this uh, man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, they, they see the signs, but they draw wrong conclusions. Well, Nicodemus isn't quite there, right? He doesn't go that far, but he still doesn't get it. He doesn't understand who Jesus is. How does Jesus respond? And Nicodemus says, we know that you are a teacher. Uh, notice he says, we know, uh, almost as if he doesn't want to take responsibility, even for the half-mistaken faith he does have. Uh, you, you know how we do that? When we sh are sheepish to take responsibility for something, we say things like, uh, the guys and, all, and I have all been talking, and we think, right, we bring other people into it to kind of uh, uh, get rid of some of the blame on other people. So Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher come from God. And how does Jesus respond? Uh, you can almost hear Jesus say, oh, you know that, do you? Uh, you, you figured that all, out all by yourself, did you? And in verse 3, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus goes directly at this man's idol. Nicodemus thinks he knows something. He, he thinks he knows something about religion. He thinks he knows something about Jesus. And Jesus says, you can't even see the kingdom apart from the new birth. And of course, Nicodemus is immediately lost. Wait, what? Born again? How, how does that work? And Jesus just doubles down in verse 5. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The problem is the more Jesus talks, the more confused Nicodemus gets until he finally says in verse 9, how can these things be? And Jesus responds, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Now, I don't think Jesus uh, is quite as sarcastic as you or I might be. Uh, but it's a little like saying, look at you, Mr. Big Shot Teacher, coming here, thinking you know something, but from the start, you haven't understood a word I've said. What was Nicodemus' problem? He was a, a wise teacher in Israel. Why could he not understand Jesus? Verse 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, meaning that which is born of this world is part of this world. Nicodemus was a man like any other man. He was born into the world like any other man. He had the resources of any other man, but those resources are not adequate to bring him into the kingdom. All of his learning, all of his scholarship, it, it's not enough. 
Nicodemus uh, was not only, he, he was a, a child of Abraham, he was a Pharisee and a ruler of the people and a teacher in Israel. He was the, the cream of the crop. If the kingdom was for anybody, it was for people like Nicodemus. At least that's what they would have thought. But what does Jesus say? Unless one is born from above, he can't even see the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God cannot be gained through your learning. It, it can't be gained through your wisdom. Nicodemus, you're not even close. And if you think about it, it, it actually has to be this way. If the kingdom of God could be had through your learning and through your intellect, if, 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 if the kingdom of God uh, was gained in that way, then it would only be for smart people. It would only be for the people who were smart enough to figure it out. We would be giving IQ tests, right, to see who could make it into the kingdom of God. But Jesus says, no, Nicodemus, that, you're, you're missing the point. That's not it at all. The kingdom of God does not come through your learning. You must be born again. Nicodemus thinks he has figured Jesus out. All of his study, his learning, his rabbinical degrees, they, they've led him to this conclusion that Jesus is a good teacher. But Jesus says, you're not even part of the right world. You must be born from above. Have you ever uh, overheard someone say something and uh, you butted into the conversation so you could give just the, the absolute perfect comment only to realize that they were talking about something else and your comment made absolutely no sense? Uh, it's, it's like going to a car show and bringing your prized catfish, right? You're not even, you're not even close to the right category. God's kingdom has a, has a different kind of entrance exam. It's not one that you qualify for in the flesh. That is, in what you can do, in your strength, in this age, in what you can figure out. Nicodemus, with all his learning, all his training, all his reading, all his knowledge, he cannot see. He cannot understand. Sometimes we come to Christianity and we think that we're going to figure it out. As if I could figure out God. As if I could comprehend the infinite. As if a tadpole could understand rocket science. It's like a baby in utero trying to contemplate grass. It's just not a part of their experience. Jesus says you don't get it. You, you can't get it through your own wisdom, through your own learning. And, and we could pause here and think about this for a minute. Jesus' words here are, are insulting. When Jesus says to Nicodemus in verse 3, unless one is born from above, he can't see the kingdom of God. And verse 5, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And verse 7, when he says, you must be born from above, when Jesus says these things to Nicodemus, he is saying, Nicodemus, you don't have what it takes. You can't qualify for the kingdom. And just to be clear, he's not saying that Nicodemus is not smart enough Nicodemus, if you just had a little more brains, you could figure this out. Come on. No, he's saying that, it, it's, that no amount of smarts gets one into the kingdom. See, when we come to God, we want to come on our terms, right? I want to be able to figure him out. I want, I want a God who makes sense. I want a God who fits in my box, who is comprehensible. And Jesus says, you can't figure this out on your own. That's not the way it works. You're, you're missing the point. Now, thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us there. He doesn't say, you can't get it, and then just walk away. He doesn't say, you don't have what it takes, and then rub it in our face. He gives us a way forward. And so the inadequacy of natural reason leads to the necessity of spiritual birth. Now, what are we talking about when we use this phrase, spiritual birth, or the new birth, or being born again? 
Jesus, thankfully, says a couple of things about it in this passage to help us understand. Uh, First, in verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, almost every translation of the Bible uses the phrase born again. And almost every commentator says it should be born from above. And, of course, you see that footnote in at least the ESV text. They footnote it as another possible translation. The Greek word can mean either, born again, again, or from above. Uh, I'm not entirely sure where the disconnect comes in between the commentators and the translators, uh, but uh, later in this very chapter, John will say, using the same word in John 3.31, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from, a, from heaven is above all. And so at least in John 3.31, from above there is parallel to from heaven. And so to be born from above is somehow to be born from heaven. Now, Nicodemus doesn't get this. He thinks Jesus means born again. And so he sarcastically says, uh, one cannot get back into his mother's womb, can he? And Jesus, again, he just doubles down and and further explains in verse 5 when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, now this phrase, uh, born of water and spirit, has at least five different explanations to it, probably more, but I'm only going to go over five. Uh, Just five, right? Um, it, It could be referring to physical birth and spiritual birth, born of water and born of the spirit. Uh, In favor of this is actually the next verse, verse 6, which says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So there you go. You have two births, birth of the flesh, birth of the spirit. And some say uh, water means birth in the flesh, spirit means uh, birth by the spirit. Uh, But water is rarely, if ever, used as an image for physical birth in Scripture, so that's not likely. It could be. It could be ritual birth and spiritual birth, meaning baptism and the Spirit. In favor of that understanding, being born of of baptism and the Spirit, in favor of that is actually the context. Uh, John 1 talks about baptism. Uh, The end of John 3 talks about baptism. And and, and so this passage is surrounded by talk of water baptism. And and I think there's, there's something appealing to this. Uh, if this is what Jesus meant, of course, it, Jesus still doesn't mean, as some would take it, that baptism somehow causes the new birth, because just a few verses later, Jesus will say that you can't know how the Spirit works in the new birth. You can't pin it down. You can't see it. And so clearly, he's not saying we can cause the new birth through baptism. Uh, so then what would it mean if it were talking about baptism and, uh, the, uh, and the Spirit, it would mean something like this. that The rite of baptism is important. It's an outward sign of repentance and entrance into the visible church. But the physical rite is not enough. Something more is needed. As John the Baptist put it, uh, he baptized with water, which was good, but, but we need something more, baptism with the Spirit, which Jesus would bring. Now, the problem with both of those first two interpretations, uh, that, that it's baptism uh, or that it's birth, new birth physically and spiritually or new birth ritually and spiritually, the problem is, is that it assumes that there are two births talked about here, but there's actually only one. Jesus doesn't say you must be born of water and born of the Spirit, but born of water and Spirit, one birth uh, and one, one, one phrase, one preposition governing both water and Spirit. And so what else could this phrase mean? 
born of water and spirit. Uh, James Boyce believed that water here was a symbol of the word of God. So we must be born of word and spirit. And, and that's certainly appealing, especially for Reformed people who like to talk about word and spirit. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1.23 that we have been born again through the living and abiding word of God. So that's certainly biblical imagery, being born of God's word. And Paul in Ephesians 5 talks about the washing of water with the word. So it's certainly biblical to speak about the word as, as uh, using water imagery. And yet, that seems to be foreign to the context of John. There's nothing within this chapter or the surrounding chapters that would lead us in that direction. Uh, so sticking a little closer to John's language, baptism with water and the Spirit uh, could mean baptism with water, that is, the Spirit, so that the water is actually a symbol of the Spirit. That, that fits actually with uh, the Gospel of John in John 7, where we are told that the Spirit is the living water whom Jesus would pour out. And there are some commentators who favor this view, but others say, no, no, uh, the Greek construction, the way it's worded, it really lends itself to one birth of two distinct things. Okay, so then we have to keep looking. Okay, so what else? So if, you, if you're counting, that's four. So there's one more. Uh, probably what is most appealing is this. Jesus is referring to specific Old Testament prophecies. And, and this uh, makes the most sense out of Jesus' rebuke uh, of Nicodemus in verse 10 for not understanding. How could he rebuke Nicodemus for not understanding? Well, because Nicodemus should have known the prophets, but he didn't. And so, for example, Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my ways, in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. See, there in Ezekiel, water and spirit renew Israel. And Jesus would be saying here, we must be cleansed and made new. Water is a symbol of God's cleansing power. Baptism is, of course, a symbol of that. But Jesus is not here talking about the symbol of baptism, but the reality of God's cleansing. Paul brings these things uh, together in the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He says, God saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And of course, the emphasis here in John is, is on the Spirit, the work of the Spirit whom Jesus would send, as the next verse, verse 6, shows. We need something more than physical, fleshly birth. We need to be born of the Spirit. We must be born from above. We must be born of water and Spirit. And this new birth, Jesus says, is mysterious. Verse 8, he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, the Spirit is like the wind, invisible. You don't see him, but you can see his effects in the life of the one born of the Spirit. But what are those effects? The main effect talked about here is seeing and entering the kingdom. Nicodemus clearly lacks this new birth that Jesus is talking about because he doesn't understand. He doesn't see the kingdom. He's missing it. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. A person born into this world only 
can't understand spiritual things, Paul is saying there. To understand spiritual things, you, you must be born of the Spirit. To understand heavenly things, you must be born of heaven from above. And so Paul says of believers later uh, in, or earlier in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now, now one way of, of getting at what all this means is by understanding the, the nature of faith. And Paul at one point contrasts faith and sight. He says, uh, we walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus will say uh, to Thomas later in John, in John 20, 29, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So faith and sight can be contrasted. At the same time, faith is actually a kind of sight. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, Paul says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, we look to unseen things. That's faith. It's an awareness of spiritual realities, a sight of things unseen. When you are born of the flesh in this world, you're born with physical eyes, that you may see physical things. When you are born from above by the Spirit, you are born with spiritual eyes, that you might see spiritual things. Faith is learning to look to the unseen. It, it's learning to take into account not just the facts of our physical ex existence, but also the facts of spiritual realities. That's why to understand spiritual things, we must be born of the Spirit. You need spiritual eyes to see spiritual realities. Uh, Paul prays at one point for the Ephesian church that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. Faith is a kind of sight with the eyes of our hearts that, that comes by being born of the Spirit. Now, think about it this way. Have you ever had the experience where uh, someone was trying to explain something to you and you, you just couldn't get it? Uh, you, you were confused. You didn't understand. And then all of a sudden, the pieces snapped into place. And you might have even said, oh, I see now. Even though you didn't physically see anything different than you did a moment before, but suddenly everything became clear. All the pieces snapped together. And maybe you have been around Christianity for some time and you're, you're interested, you're, you're learning, but it, but it still hasn't clicked. It doesn't make sense. Uh, you feel like you get the basics, but, but you also feel like, like you're missing something big. Jesus would say, you, you must be born from above. Now, all of that is good, uh, but, but the way many people would leave us at this point is, well, since the new birth is the result of the Spirit's hidden work, uh, there's just nothing you can do. Uh, you you, you, you uh, clearly can't cause your own birth, uh, so sit around and wait and just hope that something someday might possibly happen. And yet that's clearly not what, what John would say. Uh, in, in one sense, uh, God doesn't leave us powerless if we are willing to step out in dependence upon him. And so that brings us from the inadequacy of natural reason and the necessity of spiritual birth to the sufficiency of the incarnate Savior. Nicodemus, for all of his flaws, is actually probably a humble man. He does come to Jesus, after all, and despite his initial incredulous comment, can one enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? His question in verse 9 seems more subdued. How can these things be? And Jesus' answer is to point Nicodemus 
to Jesus himself. Verse 11, Jesus starts, we, probably actually playing with Nicodemus in light of his use of we earlier, though there are other possibilities, but, but probably just being playful. We speak of what we know. I am telling you what I know and have seen, Nicodemus. I have told you earthly things, which I guess can only be because the new birth, while coming from heaven, happens on earth. Jesus said, if I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, a logical response for Nicodemus might have been, well, what special knowledge do you have that you can speak of heavenly things? Why should I believe you? So Jesus says in verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, the the word accept there is not necessarily making a specific exception to what came before. That's normally the way we use that word accept. Uh, Paul in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, he says, not that there is another gospel, but, or accept, it's the same word, there are some who trouble you. Paul isn't saying there's an exception to the rule that there is no other gospel. Uh, He's saying, "But, but there is this other situation. And so Jesus here seems to be saying something like this. No one has ever gone up into heaven in order to be able to explain to you heavenly things. But the Son of Man has come down. Jesus is saying, here are my credentials. Here's why you should listen to me. I am the Son of Man who has descended from heaven. That is why I can bear witness to what I have seen, verse 11, because I have seen heaven. I can tell you of heavenly things because I've been there. And if you want the life the new birth offers, if you want to be born of water and spirit, if you want to be given spiritual life and eyes to see, here's how that comes. Jesus goes on in verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, if you want the background to this fascinating little story, go read Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Uh, But suffice it to say, for our purposes, God, in in the book of Numbers, had Moses lift up a bronze serpent on a pole so that rebellious Israelites suffering from snake bites could look to the serpent and be forgiven and healed. It's an odd little story, uh, but it's interesting. Go read it later. We read it earlier. You can read it again on your own. But here's the, the real point for us. We suffer under the penalty of sin. Jesus came to bear that penalty by being lifted up on the cross. And whoever looks to him in faith finds freedom from the penalty and gains eternal life. If you want the life that comes through the new birth, look to Jesus and believe in him. Now, this is what John has already said in John 1.12. To all who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Now, it's mysterious, isn't it? Because if you believe in Jesus, in retrospect, it means that the Spirit was already at work. But rather than confusing Nicodemus with mysteries, Jesus just points Nicodemus to Jesus himself. He says, look to me. I will die that you might have life. Is it absurd from your reasoning? Sure it is. Is it outlandish? Of course. Does it, does it make sense according to the wisdom of this world? No, not at all. Paul will say in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, it's folly to this world. And Paul will also say in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. You see, if you you think you're a teacher, you must become like a child. 
And if you become like a child and look to Jesus in faith, you will be born again, become a child of heaven, and be given eyes to see. Look to Jesus, ask him for his spirit, and you will see the kingdom, enter it, and gain eternal life. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the, the words of Jesus and his call for us to look to him and believe and so have eternal life. We pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit on us in this room. We pray especially if there's anyone in this room who does not know you, who has not come to know you, who has not been born again, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on them, that you would bring the new birth, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we would understand spiritual realities, that we would see Jesus for who he is, that we would believe in him, and by believing in him, have eternal life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.